Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we started um, uh, a series a number of weeks ago that we've um, on the spirit of man that we've uh, entitled Spiritology, and we want to continue with that for a little bit longer. Uh, we've used as uh, kind of our main scriptures, we've used a bunch of them, but the main scriptures that we've gone to again and again is uh, Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27, which says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Now, that translation might be a little blind to us from the King James English Another translation says the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. Another translation, modern translation says the spirit of man is the searchlight of the Lord. What it's saying, uh, well, it goes on to say in uh, Proverbs 20, 27, searching all the inward parts of the belly. What it's saying is that God will enlighten you. He'll bring you information. He will guide you and direct you in life by your spirit. Well, we know man has three parts. He is a spirit made in the image of God. He has a soul, which is his mind, will, and his emotions. And then he lives in a body. So where the Bible says that God will enlighten you, bring you information, and lead you by your spirit, it means he's not going to lead you through your mind, and it means he's not going to lead you by your body. Now, in uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 16, we've also looked at those. The New Testament correlation for, for uh, Proverbs 20 27. Uh, Romans 8, uh, 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, which tells us that God will lead each and every one of his children. How's he going to do that? He's going to do it by the Spirit of God. But how is the Spirit of God going to lead us? Verse 16 goes on to tell us, it says, Himself, talking about the Spirit of God, bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. So the way that God's going to lead you and I, the way He's going to lead all of His children, is by bearing witness with their spirits by the Holy Spirit. Which means we are responsible, therefore, if we're going to know the leading of God and find His will for our lives, we're going to have to be sensitive in spirit to recognize the inward witness. Now, we've talked about that in a lot of different ways, and tonight I want to kind of approach it from a different angle. There's a, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 23. There's a, a verse of Scripture that we use as a principle that, that we kind of take out of context. And so let me, uh, uh, let me explain the context to you. Uh, Proverbs is telling you how to operate and how to handle yourself around someone that, uh, that's insincere and has more than you do. It talks about uh, how to handle yourself around someone that has an evil eye. In other words, somebody that's, uh, that's, not, uh, uh, that's looking for a way to cut corners, that's looking to gain by, at somebody else's expense. That's what it's talking about. It uh, goes on to say that even though his, uh, his words and his actions may invite you in, yeah, partake of the things that I've gotten through my ill-gotten gain or whatever the case is, even though he may say that, his heart is not with you. In other words, it's saying people that... that uh, uh, that try to gain in life by cutting the corners and fudging around the edges and things like that. Those are people that are insincere and people that you can't trust. But then there's a principle in Proverbs 23, verse 27, that applies not only in that situation, but in every situation. And notice it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. We oftentimes quote this in this way as the principle, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, what I want to talk to you tonight about is spiritual thinking. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, if you look up the word heart, it's talking about the innermost part of, the, of his being. It's not talking about in his mind. It's talking about the inside, his real motives, his real purpose, who he really is on the inside, the spirit of man, in other words. But here's the question. How can you think in your spirit? I thought thinking was a product of the mind. Well, the New Testament tells us a lot of things about the mind. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 tells us what to think on. It says that we're supposed to think on things that are just and true and of good report and things that are lovely and things that are pure, things that uh, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, in other words, uh, or as the King James says it, another way to say that is anything that lifts us to a higher character. That's what virtue is talking about. It's talking about good or high character. Anything that causes us to praise God or focus on Him for His goodness. Those are the things that we're supposed to think on. But how is that thinking in the Spirit? I want you to, uh, to look with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Lord uh, really arrested me um, uh, yesterday afternoon and uh, has, been, has been talking to me all, all morning long and reminding me of some things that, uh, that well, I, I'm not going to say that I'd forgotten about, but I just never think on and he, he brought it to my attention and, and, uh, and wanted me to share these things with you tonight. So I've, I'm going to kind of set the stage so I can tell you a story. And after I tell you the story, I'm done. That's all he gave me. We'll see what happens after that. 
But Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10 gives us some information about what we're supposed to do and how the mind affects the spirit. The simple fact is this, folks. You believe according to what you think. If you think wrong, you believe wrong. And so where the Bible talks about as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you don't focus your thoughts on spiritual things, you're never going to believe right. So if you think wrong, you're going to believe wrong. If you believe wrong, you're going to confess wrong or speak wrong. When I say wrong, I mean out of line, contrary to the Word of God. And as a result, you're going to miss out on the blessings of God. So it comes back to your thinking. That's, uh, we know that to be true because you can't get saved unless you hear the gospel preached. The gospel affects both your mind and your spirit. It produces faith in your heart, but it enters through your mind. So the mind's very important. That's why the Bible gives us instruction, specific instruction. The greatest need for the church is to renew their minds to the Word. The reason that we don't have Christians who are living in a manner that they presented their bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, or another way we could say it is they're living body ruled, controlled by sin, and dominated by sin, even though Jesus has set them free by their blood, by His blood. The reason people don't live free is because they have not renewed their mind to the Word. If you haven't renewed your mind to the truth of being free from sin, you'll never live free from sin in reality in your flesh. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul gives us some information about how the devil operates and what we're supposed to do. Notice he says in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare... Now, the word warfare literally means strategy. He's literally saying our strategic weapons. He's saying we have strategic weapons. Our strategic weapons are not carnal. Now, remember when we talked about using, uh, when this word carnal was used, where Christians were concerned, Paul told the Corinthians in the first letter they wrote to him that you are carnal Christian, yet you're still even babies in Christ. What was he saying? He's saying their body ruled. In other words, they're living their lives of the earth. Well, that's the same word that's being used here. He's saying the weapons of our warfare, our strategic weapons, are not of the earth. Are not of the earth. That means they're not going to be of the mind. They're not going to be of the flesh. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, are not of the earth, but they are mighty. Now, if they're not of the earth, that means they're unseen weapons. But don't let the fact that it's unseen throw you off. They're, they're mighty through God. They're mighty because they're given by God. They're mighty to accomplish the purpose that God has sent them to accomplish. They are mighty, and so we need to utilize those, and he tells us how. The weapons of our warfare are not, my, are not carnal, but mighty through God. To what end? To the pulling down of strongholds. Now, the word stronghold literally means fortress, prison, or castle. To the pulling down of strongholds. He's saying God has given us spiritual weapons, strategic weapons, to pull down fortresses that the enemy has set up. Now, folks, you know as well as I do, there's been all kinds of teachings about pulling down strongholds. You've got people do, going to prayer meetings to pull down the devil's strongholds over cities and pull down the devil's strongholds over churches and pull down the devil's strongholds over whatever. But where are these strongholds that he's talking about? Interestingly enough, you never see Jesus go into a city and start a prayer meeting to pull down the power of the devil. Back in the 80s and uh, early 90s, People were trying to go up into the highest parts of town. They'd get up on the, the tops of buildings and skyscrapers because they figured that that was where the devil was ruling, up into the, in the heavenlies. And so they'd try to get up there where they could be close to pull down those strongholds. Well, if you're going to get on the top of a building to pray, why don't you just get in an airplane? And if that would work, why don't you just go up in the space shuttle? And if that's the principle that works, why don't we just figure out a way we can just fly on up to heaven and get out of here? That's not what he's talking about, folks. See, people think naturally. People think in, in, in physical terms. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are those strongholds? Notice how it says to do it. Verse 5. He says, casting down imaginations. This word imagination means reasonings and opinions. Casting down imaginations. Reasonings or opinions. Can I ask you a question? Can you cast down an imagination or reasoning of mine? 
If I share my idea, if I tell you how I've got something figured out, you can reject it, but can you cast it down? Can you do anything about demolishing or destroying? Literally, that's what it means. This word casting down literally means to destroy violently or demolish. Casting down imaginations. Is there any way you can do that if it's mine? No, it's impossible. But you can do it if it's yours. You're the one that controls what you think. You're the one that controls what your opinions are. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying that's where the devil has strongholds built up in people's lives in their minds, in their thought life, in their opinions, in their ideas. Casting down imaginations and every high thing. Notice what he says imaginations are. Imaginations that are contrary to the Word of God are called high things. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and, here's what those weapons of our warfare will do, and bringing into captivity every thought. Now, if there was ever any doubt about what the imaginations were referring to, this explains it to you. He's talking about dealing with your own thoughts. If you want to destroy the devil's power in your life, you're going to have to learn to deal with your own thoughts. The idea that you can just think whatever you want to and just operate the way the world operates, think the way the world thinks, take hold of the world's ideas and all this kind of stuff and live a Christian life, forget it. It's amazing when you look at the, the, uh, the pattern of how younger Christians from generation to generation are sucked in to the cultural ideas of the society they live in. They get looser and looser and looser with what they think is okay. Well, that's why the church winds up being weaker and weaker and weaker as the generations pass. Because if you accept the wrong thinking, you're going to believe wrong and you're going to forfeit the power of God because you're going to confess the wrong things. So he says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now that's where we usually stop reading. That's normally the place where we'll stop and we'll talk about renewing the mind and, and that type of th thing. But folks, I want, you to, I want you to understand something. Paul is writing to the church not about rebellious people. He's writing to the church to encourage them how to walk in victory. Well, if they were rebellious, they're not going to come and listen to the letter that Paul wrote to begin with. Most of the people that I find, in my experience, they're not rebelling against things of God. They don't know what thoughts are wrong. They don't know what thoughts to pull down or to change or to take captive. The next verse, verse 6, is really the key verse. Notice it says, and... That means he's continuing to talk about the same subject. And having in a readiness to revenge. The word revenge means to retaliate against. And having a readiness to revenge all disobedience. The word disobedience means inattentiveness. In other words, he's saying, he's encouraging us by the Spirit of God. You've got strategic weapons, God-given weapons, to cast down, to demolish wrong thoughts that are holding you bound, and you should be ready to exact revenge or retaliate against those wrong thoughts that you have been ignoring and not doing anything about. You know how most Christians don't live a victorious Christian life? Because they're distracted. It's not that they want to live in, in defeat. It's not that they wanted rebelling against God. It's not that they don't want to do what God's Word says. You ask any Christians that's sincere, do you want to follow the will of God for your life? Everybody will say, yeah. Now, they may be thinking in the back of their mind, well, you know, uh, okay, there's one area over here I'd like to hang on to. Or I'm not sure about what God wants me to do over here. I, I've got my own plan about this. But by and large, everybody wants to do what God's Word says for them to do. By and large, everybody that's sincerely saved knows God from the inside, who's genuinely born again. Everybody in the family of God from the inside, maybe not from the outside, but from the inside wants to obey God. Well, then why don't we? Who keeps us from doing that? Can anybody make you disobey God? Some people think so. 
Some people think that they don't have power to resist the devil and he can force them to do whatever he wants. But the Bible says that's not true. That's one of those wrong thoughts that people need to take captive. That's one of those strongholds that they need to pull down. So what do we do? The Bible is telling us very specifically. Paul's instruction is pay attention. Pay attention. And having a readiness to revenge, to retaliate against, all disobedience, all inattentiveness, when your obedience is fulfilled. Another translation says it this way. When you're attentive, when you're attentive, the word obedience here means attentive hearkening. In other words, the revenge against the inattentive wrong thinking or wrong thoughts that you've allowed to stay in your mind, that we've allowed to stay in our minds, that revenge is exacted, that retaliation is made good when we then become attentive and hearken to what the Bible says instead. And notice the Bible says every wrong thought is a high thing. Now turn with me over to, to, um, uh, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, Paul is giving instruction to the church. We made mention of this a little bit, but, but let's look at the, uh, the verses in context. Paul starts off in verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Now, the therefore has to do with all the things that he's been talking about from chapter 6, 7, 8. Takes a little side journey in chapters 9 and 10 talking about Israel. But now he's back on track in chapter 11. And uh, I'm sorry, he takes a side journey in, uh, in chapters 9, 10, and 11. Now he's back on track in chapter 12. So in chapter 6, he was talking about sin not having dominion over you. Chapter 7, he was talking about the conflict that he's having between his spirit that wants to obey God and his flesh that doesn't. Chapter 8, he talks about the victory that we have, the, the fact that there's no condemnation to us because we are in Christ. We're not in the flesh. We're in Christ because we're saved. He tells us about the power of the Holy Ghost that helps us. He helps us to pray. He empowers us. We, he makes us more than conquerors. That's what the 8th chapter is all about. It's about the power of God. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, he talks about Israel, takes a side journey talking about Israel, and he says, okay, now you understand. We all have the same conflict between our spirit and our flesh. Jesus is the answer. The power of God is made available to us to walk in victory. So then, chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Here's the action that we're to take. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Notice he says you have to do it for yourself. I can't do it for you. God, God himself can't do it for you. You have to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Most other translations say spiritual worship. You want to know how to worship God in spirit? Jesus said it to, in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well of Samaria, he said, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. You want to know how to do that? By presenting your body a living sacrifice. You bringing your body under control. Paul said it of himself. He talked about the difference between him, the man on the inside and his body. He said, I keep my body under. I, the man on the inside, keep my body under. What's he doing? He's telling you to do the same thing. Just like I keep my body under, you keep your body under. That's worshiping God in spirit. Why? Because it's allowing your spirit to dominate your flesh and serve God instead of sin. Now, how are you going to do that? That sounds great. But how are you going to do that? Isn't that the same thing Paul's talking about his conflict is in chapter 7? I, the man on the inside, wants to do the right thing. The man on the outside doesn't. And the man on the outside seems to be winning sometimes. So it's a great instruction. It sounds wonderful, but how do you do it? You do it by acting on verse 2. Just as verse 1 tells us to present our bodies a living sacrifice, verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if he's talking about not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of the mind, he's got to be talking about not being conformed to the world's way of thinking. Because he's telling you to do something about your mind. He's telling you to do something about your thinking. He's telling you to renew your mind. The word renew means to reverse by repetition. Well, reverse... What to what by repetition of what? What's he saying? He's saying reverse the way that the world thinks that you and I have been schooled in by repeating the Word of God, which results in a renewed mind so that we're thinking in line with God's Word from our hearts. In other words, 
That's spiritual thinking. Renewing your mind is taking the old thoughts, the thoughts of the world, the way that everybody has taught you and me and experience has taught us to operate in this world, judge it against what the Word of God says when it contradicts throughout the world's way of thinking and repeat what God's Word says until it becomes part of our own thoughts. And then we are thinking spiritually. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You could, you could interpose these words by saying this. You could substitute it by saying, For as a man renews his mind to the Word of God, so is he. That's what it's talking about. That's what thinking in your heart or thinking in your spirit is. So it says, Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind to this end that you may prove. The word prove means to determine by experience. If you want to experience the will of God in your life, it comes one and only one way, and that's by renewing your mind to the Word. By taking wrong thoughts captive, thoughts that contradict the Word, taking them captive and changing them to think what God's Word says instead. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now notice verse 3. Paul has just given us instruction. Present your body a living sacrifice, renew your mind. That's how you're going to walk in victory. It's the only way you're going to walk in victory. Why? Because if you think wrong, you're going to believe wrong, you're going to confess wrong. And you're ruled by your confession. You got saved because you said, confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Why did you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because you believed the preaching of the Word. Why did you believe the preaching of the Word? Because what you heard affected your mind and you made a decision. You're governed by your words. But if you think wrong, your words are going to be wrong. So what does Paul say now? He's given us the instruction, renew your mind to the word, and therefore that equips you to present your body a living sacrifice. Now verse 3. For I say, for I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you. I want you to notice that Paul is not saying, here's what the Lord is saying to you. He's saying, Here's what I say about this. Now, Paul is the one that's showing us the example of how to come out of defeat in chapter 7 into victory of chapter 8. How? Through presenting your body a living sacrifice, through renewing your mind. Now, Paul is going to tell us about his experience, what he's learned from this. He said, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think. Now, he's telling us to think, but he's warning us about what not to think. He said not to think. Now, if you're reading from the King James, notice the of himself is in italics. That means the translators added it. It could apply there, but it's not just talking about you thinking about you. So let's pull it out, at least for the sake of discussion for a few moments. For I say to every man that is among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, folks, without question, he's talking to us about not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. But that's not just the only thing he's telling us not to think more highly than we ought to about. He's saying don't think about anything more highly than you ought to, including yourself. Sure, it applies to us. But now keep that more highly than you ought to in mind. Do you remember over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or chapter 10, verse 4, what we read? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he's saying, you have strongholds, you have allowed strongholds to dominate you and rob you of the blessings of God in your life through inattentiveness, through lack of attention. It's not that you're a bad person, you're just not attending to what you need to. Remember Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, my son, attend unto my words. What's he saying? He's saying, give attention to it. Don't let there be any slack areas in your life that you're not giving attention to. Folks, one of the saddest things, but is absolutely true, some people aren't saved because they think they can't be. Jesus dies for them. He shed His blood for them. He was raised from the dead for them. But they never receive salvation because they think they cannot be saved. Now, why do they think they cannot be saved? Well, most of the cases that I'm aware of is because they've committed some sin in their life that they think disqualifies them from salvation. Yet the Bible says that there is no disqualifier for salvation. 
Jesus died for the sins of the world, but their minds rule. The word's true. Jesus died for them. Someday, when their life is over here on the earth, they're going to stand before the Lord and realize, you mean I could have been saved all along? Yeah, the Bible said so. Yet their mind rules. Their thoughts, their wrong thoughts about what they can have and what they can experience rules and dominates over them. And Paul is saying that every other, uh, well, Paul is saying that many other Christians are in the same boat, maybe not with salvation, but with some benefit of salvation or something that belongs to them as a part of their inheritance they fail to take advantage of because they think they can't. And he's saying that's what you need to retaliate against. Paul seems to be implying that the devil is not your buddy. He seems to be implying that the wrong thoughts are in your mind, not just by accident, but because the devil has put them there and you need to fight against it. You know, it's an interesting thing here where, uh, uh, where Romans 12, 3 is concerned. For the weapons of our warfare are not... Uh, I'm sorry. Um, for I say to every one of you through the grace that is given unto me, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. There are two ditches. One ditch people think they can't have something because they're unworthy. The other ditch people think that they don't need God because they can handle it themselves. Both are wrong thinking. Both thoughts have to be brought captive, brought into captivity if you're going to uh, realize and, and walk in the blessings of God for your life. Now, folks, remember over in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 where Paul talks about putting on the armor of God? He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means the road the devil travels. Well, what road does he travel? Deception. He travels the road into your thought life. The devil wants you to think there's nothing about your thinking that needs to be changed. The devil wants to deceive you to think, well, this is the way you learn from your daddy. This is the way you learn from your mama. This is the way you learned in church growing up. Must be okay. They're good people. And he wants to keep you in a place where he's got a stronghold, a fortress, a prison built up that's robbing you of some of the blessings of God. Think about how many people have, have been affected by religion, denominational thought, denominational opinion and ideas that rob them of the blessing of physical healing. Most of those cases, there are some exceptions, but in most of those cases, they have no idea they're thinking the wrong thing. They have even less idea that the wrong thinking is robbing them of something that Jesus paid for with His precious blood. Now, we might look at that and say, oh, yes, isn't that terrible? Oh, what a tragedy. Well, what are you being robbed of? Well, I don't know, Pastor Mike. What am I being robbed of? I don't know. That's the question. What is it that we're not paying attention to that's robbing us in life? Folks, the Bible says whom Jesus set free, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That means it's free in every area. If you don't experience freedom and victory in every area, there's something about your life where you're thinking the wrong thing. It's just that simple. If there's something about the blessings of God that you're not realizing, that you're not experiencing in life, that you're not determining by experience, then that means there's something about God's Word that you haven't renewed your mind to yet, at least not to the degree that you need to. Now, we're all, on, you know, we're all at different places, and so we can be in the process of renewing our minds, yet it has not, maybe it hasn't taken hold with us. So I'm not trying to throw rocks at anybody, but I'm trying to wake us up. That's what Paul's trying to do. He's saying you've got spiritual weapons. Those spiritual weapons are strong enough to break any fortress and any prison that there is. Anything that holds you back from every part of the blessing of God in your life. But you've got to give attention to it. God can't do it for you. You have to renew your mind. And you're not going to renew your mind if you don't pay attention to what needs to be renewed. I use the example of the, of the two different thoughts. Some people think they're unworthy. Some Christians think they're too unworthy. They're too unrighteous. They're too uh, sinful to really be what the Bible says that they are. You know what the Bible says that is? The Bible says that's pride. They think they're being humble, but the Bible says that's pride. Why is it pride? Because they're taking a position where their thoughts 
count more than what God says. They're allowing their opinions to be a high thing that exalts itself against the Word of God and not giving attention to it and changing their thoughts to line up with the Word. That's why you've got so many Christians that refuse to say that they're righteous. Well, why wouldn't you? The Bible says you are. Because I don't feel righteous. Ah. So you don't think you're righteous because of the way you feel. That's a high thing that's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. On the other hand, you've got some people, bless their hearts, they are so knowledgeable about the Word that they're over in pride in the other area. You know, when, um, um, when Beth and I were, well, when I went to Ramah in, uh, in Tulsa in 1980, uh, Beth had already been there for a couple of years, and she was in the end group. She was part of the, uh, the singing group. They had just recently disbanded. Uh, Brother Hagen had, um, uh, had well, some of them were getting married, different things. They were going in different directions, so some of them stayed on and, and worked there at the ministry. Beth was one of the ones that did, and uh, they were in, uh, working together in prayer and healing school. There was a counseling center at the time. She was part of that. And uh, so I went to school. When I went to school, she and, and some of the others that were part of that group, they were, they were Brother Hagin's kids. I mean, they were, they were it. They walked around and everybody just went, ooh, and ah, and, and all this kind of stuff. They, they were it, and a lot of them thought they were it, too. And, um, uh, and, and Brother Hagin at that time was, uh, was teaching class whenever he was in town. Uh, and usually the, the only times he was out of town, or most of the times he was out of town, was when he was on crusades. But he, was, uh, he had a class every day uh, in school. The three days a week he'd teach the first year class, two days a week he'd teach the second year class, and then the next term they'd flip around so everybody got, uh, got the same amount of time with him. And, uh, and then he was teaching healing school in the afternoons. 2.30 in the afternoons he'd teach healing school. And those healing school services would, would oftentimes go till 4.30. And, and sometimes if the Spirit of God was moving, you didn't get out of there till 5.30 or 6, 6 o'clock, maybe even later than that. And so, uh, so Brother Higgins, I mean, he's teaching full-time around there. Uh, but there were times where, where just because of the load and, and different things that were going on, there were times where he would uh, uh, need to be somewhere else, take care of something else. And so he would give his classes away, generally, to one of these, these people that was part of the, the group that had traveled with him in years past. And it was, uh, it, was a, it was a real interesting thing. Beth taught a couple of times. But um, uh, one, one thing that, that really... Um, well, how do I say this? I, 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 uh, one of the things that really appealed to me about Brother Hagen is that, uh, that he was not somebody to blow his own horn. I mean, he would tell you things that, that had happened. He would tell you about experiences. He would tell you about the ways that God had used him. But, uh, but Brother Hagen would, was never looking for a platform. He was never looking for a place to promote himself. He, uh, when people would introduce him, he'd, he'd, uh, and, and they'd go on and on about him and, and that type of thing. Then, um, then he'd get up and, and he'd make us worship God for about 30 minutes so he forgot the introduction. He was just that, he, he just, he wasn't trying to take any credit for himself. He knew that it was all God and, and he was just fortunate and blessed to be in a position that he was. And, and I, that appealed to me. That really appealed to me. I, um, uh, I, I don't, I used to think it was a character flaw. I'm not sure what to think about it nowadays, to be honest with you. But I, I cannot ever remember a time in my life where I didn't ask myself, who do you think you are? I, that, that phrase has just been going on in my head. Nobody questions themselves more than I do. Nobody that's sane does, anyway. I, that's just, that, I've always been that way. And, and I've, been, uh, I've been exposed to some ministers before I was around Brother Hagin and then, and then afterwards, too, where they're not... Um, uh, well, they're not shy about telling you about themselves. And a lot of times it's presented in such a way that it's, it's you know, well, they're working with God, but it's mostly them. A little bit God, but mostly them. And that just rubs me wrong. I, I, just, I, I, can't, I just can't handle that. It, it just, I just can't stand that. There was a, 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 the Baptist minister, that uh, uh, the pastor of the church that I grew up in, he was a lot that way. And he didn't have anything to blow his horn about. But, oh, I mean, it was, it was just there. And it, it turned me off from the time I was a kid. But I didn't know any better. And so, you know, you just accept things. But as you get a little bit older, you start trying to figure out what's right and what kind of person you want to be and, and you know, develop your own character and that kind of stuff. Well, I got around Brother Hagin. And, uh, and, and Brother Hagin, he'd make the comment oftentimes. He'd say, I don't have the itch to preach. 
Well, every time he'd open his mouth, it was, for me, it was like, dear Lord, how could anybody know the Bible like this? How could anybody know God like this? And so I was, I was always ready to hear him. And when somebody else would step up to talk, man, it would make me mad. Now, you got to realize I was immature. I'm, I'm just a baby Christian. Well, I'm a baby Christian as far as the Word is concerned. I was saved since I was five years old, almost six years old. But as far as the knowledge of the Word was concerned, I was just learning, just barely learning. And at the time that I went, everybody looked at Beth and, and the group, that, that uh, face creation group that was still working there and, and close to Brother Hagen, and he had called them over to his house for prayer meetings and stuff like that. And everybody thought, oh, they must have something. They must really have something. Well, I, when, uh, when Beth and I started dating some, uh, people were looking at me like, what are you doing with her? I mean, she's one of Brother Hagen's kids. She's really got something. Who are you? What have you got? Well, I, I knew enough to know I didn't have anything. I wasn't pretending to have anything. I knew I was ignorant. Wasn't ashamed of it. Didn't plan to stay that way. But there was a, there was a real um, opportunity for conflict there between the two of us. Because she was looked as one of the ones that was a real spiritual one, and I was looked as somebody, who are you? We don't know if, even know if you're going to make it around here, you know? So I just dug my heels in and, and, and just did the work that I was given to do and didn't really care what anybody thought about it. I wasn't looking for a platform or a place to preach anyway. Didn't even know if that's something God would have me to do. But in the, in the, the, the services and the classes and things like that that Brother Hagin would give away, whether they were healing school services or classrooms, uh, you know, the, the classes that he was teaching in the school, when he would give those away to some of these people, it was amazing to me to watch the difference in attitudes between some of the folks. Now, Beth was good about it. She didn't try to put herself out there. And, and uh, as a matter of fact, she, uh, there were very few times where she would accept the opportunity. Brother Hagen would come through and say, I've got to be gone, you know, Thursday. You know, who wants to take the class? And, and there was a bunch of them that was jumping up saying, me, 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 me. And, and she never would. There were, there were a couple of times where he came to her and said, do you want to do it? Or I think you should do it or whatever. And she would. Just, uh, just not to turn it down and to be willing, but, but she, wasn't, she wasn't trying to get there. But there were others in the group that were really trying to put themselves out there. I mean, really trying to go for it. And it was interesting because, to me, it made a big difference. I saw a huge difference between Brother Hagen's attitudes, where he's just giving out what he's got in his heart. I mean, he's had, he had 50, 50-something years of ministry experience at that time. Uh, like he would always say, you know, after that long, you stumble up on a few things. You know, you don't have to start off knowing a lot. You just stumble up on some things. And so, so he was sharing things that, uh, that would really minister to people's hearts. And, and uh, some of the other folks, uh, and I wouldn't have been any better. I'm not throwing rocks. Some of the other folks are just ministering stuff out of their heads. And folks, there's a huge difference. I hope you recognize that difference. There's a huge difference in somebody ministering to your heart. And they're just giving you head knowledge. And it was interesting because some of these guys... The ones that were the most uh, ambitious. Brother Hagin used to warn us about this. He used to talk to us a lot, talk to the, the people that were close to him. He would, he would say over and over again, he said, don't be ambitious in ministry. Let God work it out. One of his favorite scriptures was from the Psalms, Psalm 126, is it? Something like that. It said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Let God do it. Just because you might know something that God's spoken to your heart about, don't try to make it happen yourself. Let God do it. Well, he lived that way, but not everybody else did. And so there were a lot of the people that were, that were really trying to put themselves out there, really trying to promote themselves as, uh, I'm the one that Brother Hagin goes to and, and that type of thing. I saw some of the same things in, in, uh, in later years when some of the scene group would be with Brother Hagin when he would travel and, and he would be looking for somebody to help. He had sensed in his heart that, that the Holy Ghost wanted to do something. But he didn't know who would have it, and so he'd look around. And some of these guys were just chomping at the bit, just ready to jump out there and be the one, you know. Some of those guys, bless their hearts, got to thinking that because people received them so well that they must really have something. So they left from working on Brother Hagin's platform to go out on their own and fell flat on their face. They forgot that they were on Brother Hagin's platform. Even when God was using them, he was using them on Brother Hagin's platform. And there were other people that would come through a little bit older than, than I was. I was uh, 25, I guess, at the time. 25, 26, around there. And there were some people, other people that would come through that would be a little bit older, maybe three or four or five years older, something like that, 
maybe in their early 30s, and somehow or another they had the idea that they were on an equal level with Brother Hagin. And so they'd come through. I, I remember this as one lady, bless her heart, one lady that um, uh, is not so big an issue here in our day, at least not in our circles, but, uh, but back then in the, uh, in, the early, in the early 80s, there was still a lot of question about should women be able to preach in church and, and that type of stuff. And so uh, her, her big thing, whenever she was going to minister, she'd spend 15 or 20 minutes talking about why it was okay for her to preach. And when you're listening to her, you're thinking, just shut up and preach. We don't need to know why. Just we'll, tell us what you got. We'll see if God's in it. You know? You don't have to, to announce what you're going to do. But she'd always kick her shoes off. And it was, it was, I hate to use the word, but I don't know what else, any other way to say it. It was so phony. She had put on something that was so phony because she didn't do this normally. But the way she'd walk, she'd kick her shoes off and she'd walk across the platform like Brother Hagin would. But she'd do something really weird with her arms. Every time she'd walk, she'd throw her arms forward like this. Man, it was aggravating. I'm thinking, I can't get through what you're saying watching your arms. Nobody's elbows work like that. Come on, be real. Folks, my point in saying all this is this. You can't find any of those folks in today. You can't find any of the ones that promoted themselves today. There's not one of them left in the ministry. Now, they weren't, with the exception of the one that I'm talking about, they were just a couple of years older than I am, Beth and some of the other people in the group, that got a hold of the same attitude that Brother Hagin had. So Paul is right. And the, the translation, King James translation, is right in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 where it says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. That is correct. That is included there. That's not the only thing you're not supposed to think too highly about. But that is there. Now turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let me show you this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I don't mean this to be destructive criticism about anybody, and you don't know who I'm talking about, so it can't be hurt, harmful to anyone. None of these people are still in the ministry today anyway. But what I'm trying to get across to you is there was a wrong thought, a wrong attitude that they didn't deal with, and it cost them what they, what they believed. I'm not the one to judge, but what they believed was the plan of God for their lives. Now, notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, here's where Paul's talking about the difference between the natural man, the unsaved man, and the spiritual man. Uh, let's start reading in... Well, better start in verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. He's not saying God's holding anything back. He's saying nobody could even imagine what God would do, but he's told us about it. But God has revealed them to us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. Now, this word searches is the word investigates. Now, that may not make sense to you why I would use the word investigate in this context, but I'll show you why. And it all has to do with spiritual thinking. It all has to do with renewing the mind. It all has to do with examining ourselves so that we pull down wrong thoughts, which hold us bound. But the Spirit searches or investigates all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save or except the spirit of man which is in him? Now, he's not talking about the Holy Ghost. He's talking about you. He's saying nobody knows what's on the inside of you. But you do. You, the man on the inside, knows. I may not be able to judge your motives by your actions, but you know whether they're right or wrong. I may not be able to judge by the, even the things that you say, what's going on on the inside of you, but you know. That's the point he's making. For what man knows the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, in like manner... The things of God knoweth no man but or except the Spirit of God. That's why it's necessary for Him to reveal them to us. That's why we have the Word. That's why He speaks to our hearts. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. That's the Holy Spirit. So that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. What does that mean? That means He's going to bear witness with your spirit and reveal the things of God to you. Which things, talking about the things that are given to us by God, which things also we speak, that's what Paul's saying he's preaching, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, 
What's he saying? He's saying we're not using the world's way of thinking to identify these things. We're showing you spiritual truth. He's making a contrast between the world's uh, conforming to the world's thoughts and spiritual revelation or spiritual truth. Now, you know as well as I do that if you only believe the things in the Bible that you could figure out, there'd be very little you ever believed. You'd never get saved. How can you figure out God making a substitute, God being able to substitute one man, Jesus, his son, for the whole sins of the world? You can't figure that out. You might gain a little bit of spiritual insight into it after you accept it and after you begin to meditate in the Word, but you can't figure it out. How did God lay the sins of the world on him? How did God lay sins on Jesus that hadn't yet been committed? Don't tell me anybody's got that figured out. You can't figure that out. It's impossible. That's what he's telling us. He's saying we're not using the world's way of thinking. We're revealing spiritual truth. Not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches. How? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, what spiritual things is he talking about? He's talking about comparing the word with the word. That's all you've got to compare. The spiritual realm's unseen. Except the Holy Ghost reveals something to us by the word and, and, and through our own spirits, by bearing witness with our spirits. You don't know anything that's there. That's why the word is spirit and truth. So we compare spiritual things with spiritual. What's he getting at? He's getting at the same principle of renewing your mind to the Word. Comparing your thoughts with what the Word says so that you can change your thoughts to line up with the Word. Comparing spiritual with spiritual. That's what the Holy Ghost is teaching us to do. Let's keep reading. But the natural man, verse 14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them. That's why the unsaved, the unsaved stay unsaved. Because the things that they've heard about Christianity, the things that they've heard about God, the things they've heard about Jesus dying on the cross, whatever it is they've heard, doesn't make sense to them. Why does it make sense to them? Because your natural mind can't accept it. They are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually understood. What does that mean? That means the mind of man can block the truth of the word. That's not just with the unsaved. Because your natural mind doesn't change as soon as you get saved. Your mind, the unrenewed mind of the Christian, can block the truth of the Word just like the unsaved person's mind can block salvation. That's why we have to renew our mind of the Word. That's why we have to be attentive to our thoughts. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. But, verse 15, here's what I want you to see. He that is spiritual... Judges, here's the same word, investigate. The same word that's translated searches in verse 10. But he that is spiritual investigates all things. Yet he himself is judged or investigated, searched out by no man. Now what is he saying? He's saying a mark of a spiritual person, a mature believer, someone that is sensitive in spirit, someone that is going after the things of God, investigates his thought life. But he can't be searched out by somebody else. Why? Well, verse 11 says, because nobody knows what's going on on the inside of a person except that person. So if I'm spiritual, I'm going to judge my thoughts. If I'm spiritual, if I'm really after God, if I'm sincere about being after God and wanting all that I, have, I can get and, and have because of what Jesus has done, be everything that God wants me to be and His, fulfill His plan for my life, all those things, if I'm really sincere about that, then I'm going to take the time and give attention to examining my thought life to find what thoughts are in line with the Word of God and what thoughts contradict the Word of God and change the ones that contradict it. No coasting for me. If I'm going to be a spiritual believer, I'm going to have to attend to my words. My son, attend to my words. That doesn't just mean listen to the preaching. It doesn't just mean hear what the Bible is saying. It doesn't just mean hear what belongs to you. It means examine, investigate, search out your thoughts to make sure you pluck out the wrong thoughts and don't allow those to be prisons that Satan uses to rob you of the blessings of God. He that is spiritual investigates all things. 
We've got a lot of people that are knowledgeable but are not spiritual. Did you hear me? We've got a lot of people that are knowledgeable but they're not spiritual. Well, but Pastor Mike, how can you be knowledgeable and not spiritual? Easy. You can know a lot about the Word, yet not examine your thought life and fail to walk in love, fail to, to, to fulfill the plan of God for your life. The people that are on the spiritual junk heap that I was telling you about that used to teach in Brother Hagin's classes, they were knowledgeable. Sure can't say they were spiritual, though. Spiritual people finished their course. They didn't deal with whatever pride they were operating in. And it cost them. See the point I'm making? He that is spiritual searches out all things. Folks, there is nothing more important in your Christian life than for you to take the weapons of our warfare, our strategic weapons, the Word of God and the name of Jesus. You know, it's an interesting thing. If you look at the things that Jesus said about faith, he used the example of moving mountains or moving trees, uprooting trees and casting them into the sea. He used those examples. He used them five times. There were five different times that he used that example. Now, some of the Gospels record the same instances, but there are five times in the four Gospels, five times where Jesus talked about uprooting a tree or moving a mountain. Three of those times talk about you changing you. You using your faith, your confession, to change you. But what do we focus on? We focus on the two that changes circumstances. That's where most everybody wants to use their faith. Now, folks, again, I'm not throwing rocks. I'm not criticizing anybody because when I got a hold of the faith message, I needed to change circumstances. I wasn't even wise enough, didn't even have an inkling that faith could be used on me and wouldn't have cared if I'd known because I needed to change the circumstances. And God was okay with that. God recognized that I was a spiritual baby. He understood, okay, yeah, great, come on in. And then things started changing. My faith started working and circumstances started changing little by little by little. And I started growing in more knowledge of the Word. And I came to the realization that, wait a minute, the Bible talks about me using my faith on me more than it talks about me using my faith on things. Nobody taught me that. One of the greatest examples is when Jesus is asked by Peter... How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Oh, boy, I'd be doing good if I did it seven times. Jesus said, no, seven times 70. You know what Peter says? He said, Lord, increase my faith. And that's when Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd command this tree to be uprooted by the, uh, to be pulled up by the roots and cast into the sea. What's he saying? He's saying you can use your faith on an unforgiving attitude. We don't hear too much about that, do we? We don't hear too much about confessing the Word of God for ourselves unless it has to do with changing circumstances or receiving something from heaven. He that is spiritual searches out or investigates all things. Folks, don't let there be any area of your life that you are inattentive to, any area of your thought life that you are inattentive to that holds you back from the blessings of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that we do have weapons, spiritual weapons, that are mighty to demolish those strongholds, fortresses, and prisons that the devil tries to establish in our thought lives. Thank you, Father, that we are able to bring, into every, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Thank you, Father, that we are growing Thank you for the sincerity of these people that want to renew their minds to the truth in every area. Father, I pray that you would reveal to each and every one of us areas that we need to change, thoughts that we need to change, attitudes, wrong attitudes that we need to bring in line with the Word of God. I thank you, Father, for doing it by the Holy Ghost because you care for us and love us and know we're searching after you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.